brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. I'm T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate everybody tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. The video version that is on the YouTube page, which you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. And you can find the audio-only version on your favorite podcasting platforms, including iTunes, which we are finally up and running on. So cool to finally be there. Big ups to my man, Ty. Tyler, my boy, dude. Thank you for helping me out. Uh, Somehow, I had a conversation with him to where I was bitching and moaning about how uh, Apple just wasn't making it work. I was having nothing but problems. I hadn't been able to get it up there. And then randomly, at the end of that conversation, it started working. So, Tyler, you get all the credit in the world for making it work. Thank you, sir. Uh, So again, find us all your favorite audio uh, uh, podcasting platforms. Audio only version usually is going to be up a couple hours in advance. So y'all get a chance to listen to it then as well, too. And of course, you can find us on other channels. You can find me on Twitter at AxDew. That's A-X-D-E-W, as you can see here to my right. You can find me on Instagram at Theron underscore Reynolds. And of course, go to our Discord. That's discord.gg slash T scary movie again discord.gg slash t scary movie that's where we do our watch parties we have our weekly wednesday night watch parties so we're going to watch either one or two movies of what i've been reviewing in the show we get a chance to watch them together you get a chance to see something new and occasionally we have our tv watch parties as well which reminds me to mention to you that next week We're back with another TV watch party. We did our last one a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned we can't do them every week, but we're going to do them when we can. Uh, We got a lot of great stuff in. We watched Black Summer. We watched Midnight Mass. We watched Yellow Jackets. We watched Scream. We watched Slasher. Uh, We watched five great shows together uh, a couple weeks ago when we did our most recent TV watch party. So this Tuesday coming up, the 22nd, we're going to do it again. Same shows. We're just watching the next episode. So you get Black Summer, you get Scream, you get Slasher, you get Yellow Jacket, you get Midnight Mass, and our sixth show that we're adding to it, which I want to talk about here a little bit tonight before we get into the bread and butter of our movies, which tonight we are talking The Strangers, Pray at Night, and Cherry Falls. I want to talk Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah, so the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show, Freddy's Nightmares, which has not been available on any streaming platforms. There have been a handful of VHS releases back in the day. Those are extremely hard and extremely expensive to come by. And a few episodes have been released on YouTube. A few other ones have been on uh, supplemental features on previous Nightmare on Elm Street box set releases. Matter of fact, I think the most recent box set, uh, which was the Blu-ray set, had the first, at least the first episode, might have been the first two episodes, but I think the DVD box set had the first episode on it as well. But this is huge. Scream Box, in conjunction with Bloody Disgusting, uh, was able to get every single episode of the classic show Freddy's Nightmares, the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show, available for streaming. So they are available on Scream Box. 
Screenbox, I've actually had really enough on my Xbox for like a while at this point. I didn't utilize it too much because it's a good, it's a streaming service, but they didn't really have the rights to a lot of like more popular things you're aware of. So you wouldn't get much use out of it. But as rights are shifting around a lot these days, you might find something a little bit better on there that suits your taste. So check it out. It's available on most consoles, as well as obviously you can access it on your phone and your computer as well too. We're gonna be watching Freddy's Nightmares, so I hope y'all get a chance to check that out as well too. It is uh, not the best when it comes to Freddy Krueger, but as we haven't really gotten much in the way of new Freddy in the last 20 years, it's basically you get Freddy versus Jason, you get uh, the remake, and now you can get Freddy's Nightmare, something that the majority of you have probably not seen before. First episode's definitely worth watching. It works as a prequel to the film series. You see the background of how Freddy Krueger became Freddy Krueger. Um, and there are a few other episodes that feature Freddy himself as being the antagonist of it. Freddy works more like a Crypt Keeper uh, host of sorts here, setting up a tale that has to do with him, but not directly a lot of the times. And Robert Unglund comes back for every single one. He's, he's introducing every episode. So there is a lot of fun to be had with this show, even though it doesn't reach the quality of a Twilight Zone or a Tales from the Crypt. Either way, you got to check it out. What else? Uh, this past Sunday at three in the morning, because Jordan Peele is fucking amazing, we got the first trailer to his upcoming horror film, Nope. And we have a lot more questions coming out of this trailer than we did before, just off of the poster. Uh, the trailer being very, very reminiscent of a, another horror sci-fi film from the uh, early 2000s called The Forgotten. You might remember that with Julianne Moore. That one was about aliens and replacing people with copies and kids are being kidnapped and aliens basically just snatch you out of the sky. You don't actually see them. They just say, don't talk about the aliens. And then bam, you're gone. They did that a lot. And me and my friends, Carlos and Nate, uh, joked around about it for years because it was so cheesy. Not a great movie in the least bit, but it holds a warm uh, spot in my heart just because of the sentimental mental value. Well, my friend Nate, one of the last films we got to see before he passed away, and we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, nope seems very reminiscent. It seems like it is a tale about aliens. At least that's the way it seems from the clips in the trailer itself. And that we don't know exactly what and how people are being affected, but clearly... Our cast of characters, including Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya, uh, uh, are all going to be dealing with this extraterrestrial or perhaps monster presence on Earth. So I'm excited to see what we, uh, what else we get to learn about the about Nope itself. We're obviously going to get more info over the coming months. Uh, it looks really, really good, though. All of Jordan Peele's work has been on point, so I have no doubt that this one is going to be quite amazing as well, too. So uh, hopefully get a new trailer here in the next month or so. We start getting more information about that. What else? Uh, it was announced officially today that A Quiet Place 3, A Quiet Place Part 3, whatever it's going to be called, uh, is not expected out until 2025 at the earliest. And there is a lot of speculation that goes in with this third title coming out. If you recall, last year in 2021, when A Quiet Place Part 2 was being released, there was a lot of talk, a lot of talk going out about there being a spinoff that was being developed and about a third movie, and that we didn't know if John Krasinski would be involved with really either of those, because John Krasinski, I say he's getting popular, not that he hasn't been in Hollywood for like 20 years at this point there, but he's really getting more and more things on his plate at this point, 
And one of the rumors out there, which there's there's nothing credible to back it up, but one of the big rumors is that he might have gotten cast as uh, Mr. Fantastic in the Fantastic Four and other projects for the MCU. So that could be a reason why we're not able to see A Quiet Place Part 3 until 2025. Uh, we'll probably actually know that here within three months because uh, the Illuminati is in the new Doctor Strange movie and Mr. Fantastic is a member of the Illuminati in the comics, so maybe we find out in that movie if it is John Krasinski or not. But either way, it's worth the wait, honestly. Um, I think that between the first and the second movie, choosing to pick the second movie up, like mere moments after the first one ended, made a lot of sense because we wanna see the immediate aftermath of a certain character's death, uh, them learning weaknesses to these aliens, and what that means for the world now that they have a way to kind of fight them. But between two and three, uh, our characters actually seem to find some relative safety for themselves by the end of the second movie. Not a lot, because our characters are still very splintered off. Um, uh, one character, uh, you have two sets, uh, two characters together, you know, on this one island, and then three of the other characters uh, back on the mainland and everything. And I don't want to spoil anything with it. We watched it last year, but the ten-year rule cannot spoil uh, any of the stuff in there. But it was left in a place to where I don't know if I need to see the immediate aftermath of the end of the second movie. You know, similar to Halloween Kills, because if you don't know, Halloween Kills and the upcoming sequel, Halloween Ends, is going to shift. It's going to fast forward years away from where we left off. And I actually think that might be the right idea for A Quiet Place Part 3. It could be interesting if they pick it up right away. And don't get me wrong, I'd watch it either way. It probably would be a lot of fun. But I think there's more to pull out of the fact that what happens when we actually do have the ability to fight these aliens? Everybody knows about it now, and we're trying to go back to the life that we were living. Uh, can we do that? Because that could bring a lot of parallels to how things are going in the real world with COVID right now. Like, what is normal? How do you get back to this after everything that's happened over the last few years? And I think I'd be more interested in seeing that in a Quiet Place sequel, like, where does the world go now that they're able to fight these monsters? Did they go and eradicate a bunch of them and now we're living normally? Is it a lot like 28 Weeks Later, which is another good uh, comparison to make. If you remember in 28 Weeks Later, it got to a point where they found out that the infected do starve because they're not zombies. They're not eating humans or anything uh, because they're infected. They don't know to eat. So the infected do starve. And if you wait it out, you can... Uh, properly control the infected kill them exterminate them whatever you need to do basically so is that the same thing here with a quiet place to where we're going to see that it's years later we have a living society again it's very fragile but we have a living society and that somebody's going to fuck it up somehow and the aliens are back and that's what we're dealing with don't know but i'm very intrigued to see what john krasinski decides to pull out with that beyond that uh, this weekend, we have a couple of new great horror films coming out there the uh, theatrically. Uh, well, we have The Cursed, a new werewolf movie starring Boyd Holbrook uh, that's actually getting a lot of looks about it. We don't get too many werewolf films these days, so seeing something new and something potentially, uh, something potentially just out of left field, not your traditional werewolf story, is coming off super, super interesting to me. So I'm very interested to see this one. Uh, we're going to talk about that next month. We got a full plate for the next few weeks, folks. We're going to get to it in, in March there. We're going to talk the curse next month. But not only that, we have 
The new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie is coming this week. It is out in days, y'all. Somehow, that creeped up on us super, super quick. And I love that that's just been happening with any of these old franchises that we've gotten to go back to. You know, Chucky came around super quick. Um, what's it called? Uh, uh, we got Spiral, the new Saw movie la uh, 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 last year. Or I guess a couple years ago, that came around super quick as well, too. We got a new Candyman. We got a new Scream. Uh, we got a Hellraiser movie coming out. So all these like all these reboots and sequels and additions and established franchises are giving us something new. And I'm so excited to see what else we have in store this year. It's going to be awesome. You know, whether or not the story actually ends up being anything credible, that's one thing. I don't look to text Chainsaw Massacre for credible stories. I just want to see Leatherface fuck shit up. And that's what I'm pretty sure we're going to see. But what do y'all think about it? Are you excited for this new one? Is it kind of like, eh? Tell me in the comments, you know, let me know what you're feeling about this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that's coming out. We're going to be reviewing that next week on the show, and we might even do a late night watch party this Friday when it comes out to check it out together. We are going to check it out next week together, but you know me, I got to watch it to review it, so maybe we'll watch it all together. Beyond that, last thing I want to touch upon uh, is the horror community again. I fucking love the horror community so much. I especially love the folks in the horror community who have been filmmakers, their writers, their directors, their actors, their crew, because I think that this is one of the only, uh, one of the only genres out there to where we can get the right appreciation for films years later that weren't appreciated right when they came out. It's hard to do that a lot of times with action and comedy and things like that because it's good at the time, but it doesn't really appreciate with value. It depreciates with value. Whereas horror is one of the few genres that I feel actually appreciate. It goes up. It gets better as time goes by, honestly. And one film that definitely has been getting its due a lot in the last few weeks has been Jamie Blank's Valentine. If you remember, we've talked about Valentine before. It's got David Boreanaz, Marley Shelton, Catherine Heigl, Denise Richards, among others. Um, uh, Jessica Capshaw's in it as well, too. And it's a story about a group of girls who are being terrorized by a serial killer who perhaps has links to their past. And we've talked about it, how that was a film that I think was unfairly compared to other films of that era, like Scream, or I guess more accurately, like Scream 3, because that's when Valentine came out. But I think unfairly, it got lumped in with a lot of the meta horror films that we had coming out at the time. Because remember, Wes Craven's New Nightmare came out, then Scream came out, and then we kind of got a lot of our horror films shifting towards the meta styling of it, to where you have to know what's going on, you have to know your creatures, you're smarter than most characters in previous horror films have been. And that's great. I'm not cracking on the meta genre at all, but I think the problem also is that it hurt a number of other films that people looked at and were expecting this whole meta like lens to be shot through, to see the films through. So films like Valentine and I Know What You Did Last Summer, and even to a certain extent like Urban Legend, sometimes unfairly get ripped apart because of the fact that they're not like Scream. They're not like Wes Craven's New Nightmare or any films that came out in the early 2000s that were very similar to it. And while some of those movies, and specifically I Know What You Did Last Summer, I'm not a big, big fan of it, but I appreciate it for what it is. Um, some of these films obviously are not supposed to be like that, but none of them, I feel, deserve the criticisms when compared to those meta films that are out there. And Valentine's a big one that's, that falls into that realm because I think everybody was expecting this to be more of a tongue-in-cheek uh, horror film to where it's actually not that funny. 
uh, of a film. And I think we're used to that with a lot of more modern era slashers and just in general, modern era horror films. Valentine's not that funny of a movie. It takes itself very seriously. And that's very much on purpose. I've talked about before how I feel it's a love letter to the old slashers of the 70s and the 80s to where it should be pretty straightforward that we know who the killer is. Like there's some mystery, a few red herrings, but ultimately we know who our killer is. So we're kind of watching it just to see the re like to see the reveal and what the characters deal with that. And then just to see the creative ways they're getting killed. Figuring out who the killer is not really the big purpose here. Like that's what you have Scream for is that you spend the movie trying to pick up the clues on who that killer is. I think it's pretty evident in Valentine it has to be David Boreanaz. And there is some good red herrings that they set up throughout the film. But again, it's David Boreanaz. We know he's the killer. It should be pretty simple to pick up. And I feel if you look at it through the right lens, Valentine's a really, really strong movie. But if you're looking at it through the lens of like Scream, it's hard to enjoy. And I just wanted to point out that I love that our horror community seems to be uplifting these creators because Jamie Blanks has been on Twitter just getting all the love that he rightfully deserves for Valentine. Because that film, again, was critically savaged and I think a lot of people didn't get it at the time. And it's starting to get this cult following behind it that people are really understanding what Jamie Blanks was setting out to do and the inspirations behind it as well that make it just a much better movie than what people initially gave it credit for. So uh, kudos to the horror community for finding that and picking that up. So let's get into our films. I mentioned we got Cherry Falls and we have The Strangers Pray at Night. So Cherry Falls, if we're speaking about early 2000s meta slashers, Cherry Falls goes right into that. A, in, a, in the local town of Cherry Falls, a couple of students at the local high school are murdered when out at the, at the local makeout location. From there, murders start to pile up in the town and the killer leaves a calling card of calling his victims out as virgins. And we find out that the town of Cherry Falls is besieged by a killer who wants to punish the virginal children in the town. So very different from what we're used to in most other slashers and horror films because as Scream taught us and as we knew from other movies, if you have sex, you're dead. That's the rules. That's the way it works because a lot of slashers were being metaphorical about saying you're going to be punished for these sins that you commit. Of course, carnal sin being one of the biggest ones that you can do. So seeing Cherry Falls, it's nice to see that that is not the norm and we're fighting against that for once in a horror movie. Now I saw Cherry Falls back in the early 2000s. I don't remember exactly when. It has a very interesting storied production behind it to where they did try to find a buyer for the film. They tried to find uh, a company to release it. They couldn't get one so it ended up being uh, sold off to USA and it got shown as a TV movie on USA back in like fall of 2000 I believe it was. Now if you're like me that's kind of where you caught it because I absolutely did catch Cherry Falls on TV back 20 years ago and barely remembered anything about it i remember the killer and i'm not going to spoil that here in this review because i actually think that cherry falls is a really uh really enjoyable movie honestly it's not gonna be the top of any slashers for me but i don't think it's going to be in the bottom of them either but i don't want to spoil that mystery behind it but i think anybody who saw it will definitely remember the reveal of who the killer is because it's it's humorous in a way that it's probably not supposed to be but that's okay because the rest of the movie is actually really really good in my opinion but we then follow a young britney murphy 
um, whose character is recently, uh, her and her boyfriend have recently broken up. He was pushing her to have sex. She didn't really want to. And like a lot of other slashers at the time, that's the drama between this couple. But at these, as these murders pile up and the town sheriff, played by Michael Bean of uh, Aliens and Terminator fame, starts realizing that all the victims here were virgins and that it actually might not be the unsafest idea to encourage promiscuity is uh he's met with a with a wall of parents who don't know what to tell their children as well and i found myself really enjoying the dialogue of the kids in cherry falls because it was realistic uh one thing that movie centered around teenagers because it happens all the time in horror that is 50 50 is whether or not it's believable dialogue some writers out there can do a really really good job of writing for kids kevin williamson is one of the best out there the faculty scream uh, a curse the number of other ones that are out there that he does a really good job writing for kids and it's believable dialogue but the writing in cherry falls is really good as well too like i saw a lot of these kids in this that i was friends with in real life like the cool kid is not this kid that could actually probably put hands on you at this point he's wearing this nice jacket and a scarf and he's rich and he's got possessions and everything and that's the cool kid like it reminded me a lot of uh of like spider-man homecoming with the new um flash thompson to where flash thompson's not the beefy football geek anymore he's this rich kid that picks on you for being poor at this point and again one of the best things about cherry falls is the way they treat teenagers in it to where they're realistic kids and i really enjoyed that about it now in terms of the kills of the kids themselves uh, it is a very watered down film uh, we do see some scenes where the killer is torturing uh, his victims but outside of that the actual kill scenes themselves get edited a little bit still trying to hopefully one day get the uncut version which has not been released even scream factory did not release an uncut version of it but it's supposed to be much much bloodier than what we see on film that said it's not like it's a light made for tv film either now like again our killer uses a number of different blades to go around and catching his victims uh the killer is very very brutal in this film as well and a very mean and smart killer like that's one thing i did really enjoy about this is that this killer does actually talk a bit too and compared to your michael myers your jason Voorhees, who don't really talk they just menace and everything i like that this is a killer that we can compare to like compare to ghostface instead because Ghostface is one that talks to you before he really kills you, he or she really kills you. And it's the same idea here with our killer in Cherry Falls. Now, again, I mentioned there was a pro-sex message in there. And I really enjoyed that about this film. Because that's one thing in horror movies that kind of had to go at a certain point saying, like, if you have sex, you're going to die. Like, we're, we're, we're woke now. We get it. Like, you can have sex. You can be responsible about sex and not die in a horror film. And I like the fact that cherry falls really does kind of focus on one of the biggest things about high school which is hooking up and how sometimes you just kind of have to do it like there's a message in there that's actually incredibly genius because in all these horror films there's a bunch of things about hookups but the fact that we get to focus on you have to pair up certain kids who would never talk to each other and they're only hooking up out of their own safety at this point for some reason, that just seems realistically like high school, that you're going to hook up with somebody you probably really don't want to, but you're doing it because you can, or in this case, because it's life or death at that point. The kills in it are fun, if they could be a little bit more gory. The dialogue in it is great. This really does seem like real dialogue that you would have with kids in high school, and it's got a fun soundtrack. 
Everything about this film should have made it a bigger success than what it was, but unfortunately, not being able to pick up a distributor and only being a uh, only being released on USA really hurt this film from being more successful than what it was. So we got what we did. So check it out. It is on Shutter. Uh, it's streaming for the first time ever, from what I'm understanding. Um, it is on Shutter for free, so you want to check that out there because it's really, really worth the watch. I had a lot of fun, and not only that. But if you're a big fan of the recent horror film Freaky from Bloom House, it's the Freaky Friday uh, kind of spoof with Vince Vaughn playing a serial killer that switches body with a teenage girl in high school and hijinks ensue. Um, the writer, Michael Kennedy, who wrote uh, Freaky, uh, was heavily inspired by Cherry Falls. And you can kind of see that in the film. If you watch Cherry Falls, then watch Freaky, you actually do kind of see that. And again, one of the better writers here for kids because you see Michael Kennedy in the film Freaky does a great job of writing out all these kiddos that are running around in that world too. So it's on Shutter. Check it out and then make sure to check out Freaky as well. Now, The Strangers Pray at Night. A few weeks ago, we talked the original Strangers. Uh, 2008 film, horror film about a, a group of three killers who terrorize a couple out in the middle of nowhere because they were home. I talked about how I wasn't a big fan of it. At the time, it was being lauded as one of the scariest movies, if not the scariest movie ever, something that Netflix has used over and over and over over the past decade for a lot of their film releases. And my wife and I saw it. We thought it was terrible. It wasn't that scary. Um, in my review recently, I told you a few things that I did, I did like about it, but overall, my rewatch of it did not make me feel happier or any better about the film itself. But... One movie that actually always was good and did a much better job than the original did was the follow-up to it, which was The Strangers Pray at Night. So the follow-up sequel to it that was produced in 2018, so 10 years after the original, was still written by Brian Bertino, uh, this time with Ben Katai helping him out. But it was directed by Johannes Robert, who you might remember that name because he also did 47 Meters Down and the sequel 47 Meters Down on Cage. He also did the recent Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. And then uh, another one that y'all might recognize well too, The Other Side of the Door. That was a uh, fun horror movie that had Sarah Wayne Callis in it from a few years back. I remember seeing that one. Not too bad, actually. Not too bad there. But The Strangers Pray at Night was a continuing story about our group of strangers, which were Man in Mask, Dollface, and Pinup Girl, if I have them all correctly. And this is set 10 years on from the original film. Not that that's really evidence or, and not that that really matters that much, honestly, because there's nothing that really dates it. If anything, Strangers Pray at Night actually films feels more like an 80s movie than it does being set in 2018. But in this film, a family who is moving to a new home as they get set to send their daughter off to boarding school is trying to figure out uh, figure out a way to reconnect with each other. Obviously, there's a lot of strain amongst them all, and moving to a new location as they get set to send their daughter off to boarding school is not helping things. So this family of four, the mother, the father, and then their two kids are now dealing with being in a new location with family strife and the unfortunate arrival of a group of serial killers. And already, the fact that we have a bigger cast helps this film out quite a bit. In the original Strangers, 
our cast of characters were two Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman if you want to count Dennis from it's always sunny Glenn Howardson like that's fine but he didn't really have that long in the movie so I don't know if we can officially count him to it but that's one of the problems with the strangers was that you can make a horror movie work with a small cast you can but then everything that happens has to be way more impactful and the first strangers just didn't feel all that impactful with the two uh, the two victims they were able to utilize and the strangers pray at night having that family of four means that no matter how you look at it somebody's expendable somebody is there to die to kind of sell the seriousness of the situation and that instantly makes it better because we know we get more kills the fact that the strangers pray at night starts off with a killing of not main characters in the least bit there sets it up even better because we uh the original movie kind of starts in uh veritas where we're starting in reverse we see the ending then we go to everything that happened then we get to the ending again whereas this one we're going start to finish and i like that decision in there because it's not as jarring for us we don't have to guess anything and it leaves us in, in suspense for the rest of the movie so we see these victims get killed this family shows up at this trailer park that they're going to be living in for a period of time and then from there that's when all the scary stuff starts to happen the strangers show up they do the typical from the first movie hi is tamara home at the door and i love that as a calling card because we haven't gotten the third film um we are uh we're only four years away from this film coming out which is interesting to think because we could get another one in like four more years four to six more years we could see another film come out which i would not be opposed to this is a franchise that could actually work after seeing this movie and in this one we're left to believe that because again it's been 10 years time the strangers have obviously done what they did in the first movie more and more and more they've had more victims they've killed more people they've hurt more people because if you remember at the end of the first movie uh one of the killers says to the other one this it'll be easier next time showing that Scott Speedman and Liv, Liv Tyler were their first instance of doing it. So at this point, we know they have the experience. They know what they're going through. So when the strangers show up and start terrorizing this family, we know shit's for real at that point. And I love the fact that they're very quick to separate the characters out because we have to assume that this family of four is together. These, these strangers are not going to be as successful to take them out, all right? Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler made a lot of mistakes, but... They were never, like, as long as they had that shotgun, they weren't really in that much of danger. Whereas here in The Strangers Pray at Night, it's very quick to set up that even with a gun, these characters aren't in a much of a better position than they previously were. And I love the fact that, kind of like the first movie, they show a lot of what humans will do if they're pushed to the brink. So if you're forced to defend yourself, what would you actually do in a situation like that? And we get to see that with a couple of characters in the film. We also get to show that these strangers clearly don't give a shit about who you are, how old you are, what you're doing in your life at all, because they go after everyone uh, from all ends of the spectrum, men, women, uh, older, younger. They don't care. They're just going for everybody because they're absolutely insane. The where it goes wrong, though, is that we introduce kind of a storyline towards the end of the film that doesn't gel with what we've seen in the first movie and the majority of this second one to where we're perfectly okay with these with the strangers being just run in the mill like killers they're running around this area they're chasing people down and they kill them in a bunch of gruesome ways we don't need them to be supernatural we don't need them to be superhuman we don't need any of that they're just fucked up people doing what they're doing and they choose to introduce a plot line that 
uh, kind of supports that they might be a bit on the superhuman side towards the end of the film that doesn't play well at all. And it really does hamper the ending of this movie because you've made a really, really great film up until we get to this part to where it's like, oh, give me a fucking break. What's happening now? And you'll know it when it happens because it's really, really annoying and it doesn't really set up any of the rules again that we've seen across the first film and the majority of the second one because people do die. And the strangers aren't even, even exempt from taking damage in this one. In the first film, they didn't get touched really at all. In this film, they're gonna take a little bit of damage in this. So the fact that they can't even be consistent there just didn't sit well with me. It made the ending of it not work out the way that they should. And it didn't make me wanna see a sequel. Like I wanna see more in the strangers universe, but I don't know if I wanna see a follow-up based on what they set up at the end of the second film. I think I would much rather see them do like a prequel not a prequel to the first movie but give me more stories of what happened between the first and the second film because clearly there's a wealth of other stories that are in there okay and obviously it can't end with the strangers dying but then again can it do we know these are the exact same people from the first movie in these masks we have no fucking idea that that's the case so if you do a sequel potentially somebody else puts the mask on and that works well I'd like to see more films in this, but I just don't know about the ending the way it was set up. With that being said, the cast also gets to do a much better job in this film as well, too. Again, we had Scott Speedman and uh, Liv Tyler in the first movie. They're not bad in the least bit, especially Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler is a fantastic actress who did a great job with that role. But in this film, uh, we have... Uh, we have Bailey Madison, who you might recognize from like the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Uh, you have Lewis Pullman, who was in, um, uh, oh God, what the heck else there? I said Chronicles of Narnia. No, it wasn't Chronicles of Narnia. She was in uh, Bridge of Terabithia. That's what it was. Bridge of Terabithia. Uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. You'll remember that one with, uh, what's her face? Uh, uh, Tom Cruise's ex-wife, who was in Batman. I forgot her name. Uh so you have uh, Bailey Madison, you got Lewis Pullman, who was in uh, like Bad Times at the El Royale. He was in uh, Battle of the Sexes. He was in The Ballad of Lefty Brown. He's coming up in the new Top Gun movie. He's going to be in the new Salem's Lot film. You also have Christri uh, Christina Hendricks, who has been in a bunch of great stuff, including Firefly and uh, Good Girls and Drive. She's never in these films for too long. Hate giving a spoiler, but there you go. Martin Henderson from a Grey's Anatomy along with a lot of other stuff. So um, a good cast here who are always doing a fantastic job in their roles as well, too. Um, one thing that I do want to point out that I, I found was could be seen as annoying, but it's actually really interesting, is that the kids in this film, Lewis Pullman plays the young son, and he calls his sister Sis. And he calls her that a lot. And a lot of times when you think about that, because her name is actually Kenzie, uh, when Luke calls Kinsey sis, you could be annoyed and think nobody actually talks like that to their siblings. But I love the fact that Brian Bertino, who wrote it, uh, put in there that he calls her that a lot. So throughout the film, he's continually calling her sis to show this isn't just for a movie. This is literally something that we refer to each other as. And that helps out a lot because this story of this family trying to reconnect, we get to see it played out across the film even while these murders are happening and you see like these extreme circumstances reuniting them. And it's just great to see something as small of a detail as calling your sister sis in a movie, which isn't natural to see it actually being used realistically. I thought that was a really, really good use of the dialogue in the film, but it's a much better film than the original. It is a traditional slasher that you're looking for. The first film is not that it's atmospheric. 
Um, so there are parts in it that are very jumpy, but overall it just doesn't work that well. This second movie though works so much better because of the fact that it's basically just doing a classic slasher film. So check it out, much better than the first movie. Hopefully it invigorates you to want to see another film in The Strangers line. Let me know what you think. Would you want to see another story with The Strangers in it? Tell me in the comments section. But that's going to do it for us, folks. We've talked The Strangers Pray at Night. We've talked Cherry Falls. We've talked a lot of other news. Next week, we're going to be back with one review for you. We are talking the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So make sure you're back here next Wednesday night to catch my review of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And get to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash T Scary Movie. So you can find out about all of our watch parties that are happening in the Discord and join in on some of the fun conversations that we're having there too. That's it for tonight though, folks. Get to the Facebook group so you can join up our watch party. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.